there. Welcome to Shoot the Flick. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a married couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do. That we do. And before we start the show today, we have a bit of an announcement. It's been in the works for quite a while, but it's finally happened. We have moved out of New York. That's right. We are no longer New Yorkers anymore. Well, in our hearts, we will always be New Yorkers. That's true. And probably in our accents. Uh, Also true. But uh, no, we have moved to the great state of North Carolina. We're loving it so far. We've been here about a week got our own place. Leia, our pooch, is having the time of her life smelling all the new smells. So we just wanted to share that with you guys. It's, it's nice to have our own place for the first time. It is very nice. And uh, yeah, it's slowly becoming more and more of a home. So if, if any of uh, our listeners or fellow podcasters live around North Carolina and uh, want to give us some tips and tricks uh, of living in this beautiful state, please let us know. <laughs> Places to visit, all the good stuff. We are all about exploring, so please hit us up and let us know. But this week, we are continuing our celebration of music uh, with our music month actually yesterday was technically international music day Ah. um so that was part of the reason why we wanted to do music month for this month so in that vein i have introduced scott to a film from the good old 90s yes scott what movie did i show you today you show me 1992s the Bodyguard. Ooh, girl, you know where this is going. Fuck it, Whitney Houston. I'm excited. Uh, this is the second highest grossing film of the great year of 1992, behind, of course, Aladdin. I, when I told Scott that the other day, in order to try to get him hyped for this film, he was not impressed. <laughs> Just because a movie makes money does not necessarily mean it is good. That's true. But Whitney Houston, though, Scott. And Kevin Costner, probably at the height of his popularity. Yeah, I mean, listen, for those of you that don't know, this is a romantic film where Kevin Costner and Whitney Houston are the leads. And um, what I enjoy about this movie, I feel like it's an unexpected pairing that has surprisingly a decent amount of chemistry. I was I was pleasantly surprised once again watching it by the chemistry that was very lively and hot between Kevin Costner and Whitney Houston. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely interesting, the two of them. I'm not a big Costner fan, generally, so. Yeah, Costner is... I was going to say an acquired taste, but it's not really an acquired taste. It depends on the movie with me and Costner. It's an acquired taste if one needs to acquire the taste of rice cakes. Like, he's very bland and listen Kevin Costner is very accomplished he's a director producer and actor all those good things he's won Oscars good for him right but like he's a bland guy yeah I can't argue with you the the guy doesn't emote the best I mean despite the fact that I I do like him in this movie he's even pretty you know stoic and bland in this movie too I mean Whitney Houston kind of brings out the best in him I would say yeah his best movies tend to be where there are a lot better side characters around him I always go to uh, Robin Hood because that was one of the first movies I ever saw him in and he is Kevin Costner and everyone else around him is quite fun. So as far as preliminary fun facts on this movie, it, like I said, was the second highest grossing film of 92 with a budget of $25 million and a worldwide gross of a whopping $411 million. However, the Rotten Tomatoes scores leave a bit to be desired. A 35% critics score and a 64% audience score, which I can understand because honestly, like if it weren't for the star power of Whitney Houston and the clear talent of Kevin Costner, despite his blandness, it plays off like a run-of-the-mill, kind of trashy, but not trashy in a bad way, just kind of like a dime-a-dozen romantic thriller-type movie. 
Yeah, there are some twists and turns in here that are like okay. But there's a point in the middle of the movie. Like, <laughs> Scott had a conniption. I was not expecting that. Like the movie is going beat by beat where you're like, okay, I see what's coming. I see this. I see mm-hmm. this. I see this. And then the movie takes a weird turn in the middle of the movie and you're like... It does. Yeah. And, and you're like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> <laughs> this movie was directed by Mick Jackson. And um, I looked through his IMDb. I didn't really recognize anything of note, but I did notice that right around the time of this movie coming out, he also made another 90s movie called Volcano, which was a disaster movie starring Tommy Lee Jones that was set in Los Angeles, which with the title of Volcano confused me, but okay. (laughs) Now, there are some other interesting little tidbits regarding the making of this film. This film was written and co-produced by Lawrence Kasdan. That's right, Lawrence Kasdan. Name sound familiar? He's the guy that wrote Star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Ark. (laughs) I think this was written a long time ago because at one point they were talking about doing this movie in the 70s with Diana Ross. That actually would have been very interesting. And... The score was also composed by another Shoot the Flick alum, Alan Silvestri. Yep. We just talked about him recently when we did the Avengers movie, but he's done a lot of MCU films as well as Back to the Future, of course. And I tried to pay like special attention to the score of this movie to see if there were any, but like, it, it, doesn't, it didn't seem particularly remarkable. Well, this, the thing is, this movie... The score is overshadowed by the soundtrack. Of course, yes. The great Whitney Houston. I mean, this film soundtrack is, to this day, the best-selling movie soundtrack album of all time. Wow, that's actually kind of crazy. Grammy winning, so... Even still, there's been a lot of soundtracks. True, that, but this especially is... Especially, we've talked about, like, Guardians, like, the awesome v- volume, which I'm shocked that's not... didn't overtake it. Right. Well, I think also because, you like, sh- when... when the movie started and some Whitney songs started playing. Scott was like, oh, so we're just like throwing in any Whitney song we can. And I'm like, no, these songs were written for this movie. And they became obviously huge hits because Whitney. But they didn't exist before this movie came out. They were all written for the soundtrack. Two of the songs in this movie were nominated for Oscars. But unfortunately, they were nominated with Aladdin songs, so they lost. (laughs) But also, I would say the biggest song that came out of this film was not an original song written by Whitney Houston, but a cover, which we'll we'll get to. Don't worry. It's it's iconic as hell. But the soundtrack for this movie is iconic in every way, shape and form. So I'm excited to jump into this. And also, it's Whitney Houston's first film. And Kevin Costner was, like, pulling for her. We'll get to the cast could have been when we kind of introduce her character. But there were a lot of female musicians in the mix. And while I do think that some, if not all, of those women would have made a good movie, I feel like Whitney Houston, being the icon that she is, it it definitely was the best option. (laughs) Well, I, I don't know who's on that list, but, like, Whitney Houston's personality is all over this role. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if anyone else could have brought as much personality as Whitney brought to this role. But again, despite the fact that it has a lot of positive accolades, it also has negative ones as well. It was nominated for, let's play a game, how many Razzies do you think? Five. More. Eight. Less. (laughs) Seven. Damn it. It was nominated for seven Razzies and one zero, thankfully, including Worst Actor, for Costner, but he lost to Sylvester Stallone for Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. Yeah. <laughs> Which is bad. We watched that for some unforeseen, because you, unexplicable reason. Because of the title. You can't not watch a movie called Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. Okay. It was also nominated for Worst New Star for Whitney Houston, which is insanity. But she lost to Pauly Shore. For Encino Man, which we did a review on very recently, it came out the same year, so that is fair, I think, very well deserved. (laughs) There were talks of a sequel for this movie, however, not including Whitney Houston, including another very popular, I don't even know how to describe, like how to say, um, (laughs) 
it's okay. So you know how Kevin Costner starred in this movie, right? Yeah. And um, he also co-produced it and he pushed to have Whitney Houston in the movie mm-hmm. and they were good friends and blah, blah, blah. He actually gave a eulogy at her funeral, which I didn't know until I looked that up. But yeah. I know. Um, I know. I also know he was in the Whitney documentary. Uh, came yeah, out a they, years they ago. apparently were uh, pretty good friends, which is very sweet to hear. But apparently, <laughs> this is a bizarre story, and I, f- I feel like it has to be true because it's so weird. So apparently, Kevin Costner was also good friends with Princess Diana. What? What the fuck? He planned to do a sequel to The Bodyguard with Princess Diana, but unfortunately the first draft of the scripts arrived to her residence the day before her death, so the film was scrapped. Good choice. Yeah, and then there uh, also is a musical version of The Bodyguard, like on stage. It never came to New York, to Broadway. However, it was in the West End, which is the UK's version of Broadway. It ran from 2012 to 2014, which was literally right after she died. So I... I mm. Well, and then because she passed away, people went and saw it. And well, then, yeah, then... because they... they Apparently, they retooled it for the musical to make Whitney's character the main focus of the show, and they added more Whitney songs to the show to make basically make it a Whitney Houston jukebox musical, which isn't the worst idea ever. I mean, that sounds like fun, but yeah, it's it's just the timing of it wasn't the best, probably. But what are you gonna do? I guess. And then, last but not least, of course, because it is a popular film from the 90s scott what do you think they told us the public in september of 2021 they're gonna remake it (gasps) a remake was announced as quote unquote in the works it honestly could be remade of course i mean it's not one of those movies that i feel like is sacrosanct to no it's a very simple premise so it's easy i feel like to remake with you know you just put another really popular singer in there yeah, and the only other side note I do want to bring up is I have constantly, when me and Frankie have been talking about this on the side, I keep calling it the Hitman's Bodyguard, even though it's <laughs> not that. No, it's not that. <laughs> so, Scotty. Yes. Are you ready to get into the nitty gritty of this film? Yes, let us get into the nitty and the gritty. Alrighty, so we start immediately. With a bit of pew 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 because this is a actiony thriller we're dealing with here. Yes. Kevin Costner is immediately introduced as the bodyguard. He's a former secret agent by the name of Frank Farmer. He's a badass motherfucker, and he he's no good in a permanent position because he catches feelings, and he can't do that because he's just too cool for school. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's a weird kind of premise with him. Like, oh, yeah, he catches feelings so he no longer can protect someone as well. I get it, but, like, I don't know. Well, it's not... I mean, I I feel like they try to develop it a little bit throughout the movie. They delve into his backstory a little bit. How, like, he never wanted to be afraid. And, you know, he's a big thing with, like, admitting his fears. And if he acknowledges his fears, then he is a victim to them. And that's why he kind of stays back and that's why when he eventually does fall for Whitney Houston's character there's an extra element of danger because he's so scared he's gonna lose her and you know what I mean it's it's you know but just a little insight into Kevin Costner at this point in his career this was right in between Robin Hood and Wyatt Earp he had just won his Oscars for Dances with Wolves the year prior so he had a lot of clout which is probably why he was able to push for Whitney Houston to get in there, why he had a producer's credit, all that good stuff. He apparently based his performance in this film on Steve McQueen, which is why he's got that crew cut kind of situation going on with his hair. He's trying to channel the great Steve McQueen. Honestly, I feel like he always kind of had that crew cut. Yeah, well, apparently that's why he got it, because originally, like I said, it was written in the 70s for him and Diana Ross. But the bodyguard, Frank Farmer, he meets this guy named Bill Devaney, 
and he's played by Bill Cobbs, who is a, a pretty well-known character actor. He was in Demolition Man, Night at the Museum, a whole bunch of things. He's one of those that guys. And uh, he comes in and he's like, hey, I'm working for this lady named Rachel Marin, and she's a singer and a pop star, and she's getting death threats and being stalked, and I need help from the best. So you have to come in and help me protect her, please. And he's like, no, she works in show business. She's a diva. I don't want shit to do with her. Meh. But um, he eventually does agree to meet with Rachel and, and get her vibe, essentially. So he, he goes to her big palatial mansion and it's a kind of a funny series of events where he's trying to get into the abode to test the security of the compound and it's shit-tastic, which it just doesn't really bode well when you're... For, she's an Oscar-nominated superstar singer and she's being stalked, clearly, by some psychopath, which, by the way, she is completely left in the dark about. Her own team has just taken it upon themselves to not tell her. Meanwhile, it's, she's got herself, her sister... And her eight-year-old son in the house. But they don't think it's necessary to tell her that she's being sent death threats. And that there's a man that has broken into her house. The house where her child sleeps. And jerked off on their bed. It's just so very... I didn't remember that part of the movie. When that part came up, I was like, what? Why don't I remember this? I watched this as a child probably and just didn't understand what was happening. But anyway... um, Yeah, (laughs) this should not be this easy. For a man that no one knows to get into this building. So this is the point where we meet our diva extraordinaire, Rachel Marin, played by the late, great Whitney Houston, who unfortunately did pass away 10 years ago now, which is, I've thought about that. I was like, damn, that happened 10 years ago. It's kind of fucking insane. But she is a six-time Grammy-winning artist. And uh, she is considered one of the greatest vocalists of all time and one of the most influential R&B artists ever to exist. (laughs) Oh, yeah. She's got range for days. Yeah. This was uh, her first ever movie. And I think it was was great for her. It's kind of similar to like a Lady Gaga performance in A Star is Born where like she does a good job, but she doesn't have to provide a lot of range outside of her comfort zone. I mean, she's playing a huge pop star. Yeah. Which isn't too far off from, you know, her real fucking life. <laughs> no, it's it's not. And not only that, her and her sister, who are both introduced in the scene, mm-hmm. both get immediate googly eyes for Kevin Costner. Yes. We, we all love the crew cut on Mr. Kevin Costner. Yeah, immediate googly eyes. Uh, her sister, Nikki, is played by Michelle Lamar Richards. And we also get introduced to her young son, Fletcher, who is played by Devon Nixon. We, we meet some other people on her team as well. But the essential point of the initial meet cute between Whitney Houston and Kevin Costner is that, ooh, there's some sexual tension here. And by tension, I mean, you know, Rachel Marin is a diva and Frank Farmer is a hard-ass secret agent and they just can't get along. But, ooh, they're so pretty and they want to fuck. Like, that's <laughs> immediately established. And, like, again, it works somehow. I don't know how or why, but it does because they do clearly have chemistry from the word go. We also get introduced to the sleazy publicist. Oh, my God. Yeah, Cy Spectre, which you can just tell from the name. He's like, just that's just the most assholey name you can come up with for a character. Cy Spectre. <laughs> it, it, it might only be worse if there was a Zack in there, like Zack Cy Spectre. <gasps> oh, why you got to shit on Zacks everywhere? <laughs> um, and we also meet the other security guard, Tony. Oh, yes. Played by Mike Starr, who is another pretty prolific character actor. He was in Goodfellas. He was actually in Snake Eyes, which is another movie we reviewed recently. I feel like his most notable like side role is his role in Dumb and Dumber. If you know that yes. one particular scene in Dumb and Dumber where Jim Carrey is like, Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? <laughs> Guys! 
and then he's the guy just screaming at them to shut the fuck up so yeah he's he's that guy and he he actually has like an arc in this movie which i thought was adorable and also something i didn't remember <laughs> but yeah he starts off like a big old jealous asshole because he's like oh kevin costner he's so handsome and smart and cool with his knives <laughs> and he's taking my job god damn it <laughs> but yeah tony's kind of like He's caught up in the fame, and Cy is like, I gotta push Whitney out immediately. Like, oh, I have yeah. to get her to do whatever and everything. He, like, does not give a fuck. Like, certain things are said throughout this movie, mainly by this guy, Cy Spectre. And you're sitting there, and you're like, wait, what are you saying? Like, he says things like, oh, this guy doesn't understand the music business. Oh, she just got a couple death threats. What's the big deal? It's like, wait, wait, what do you mean? Though he does have the best line in the movie. Oh, which one? Tuesday brunch? Where did you get this guy? Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, because at one point, Kevin Costner's like, Okay, we have to change everything. He, he's pumping up the security in the house. He enlists the driver named Henry, who is like the sweetest guy. At first, I thought he was kind of like suspicious of Henry because he had like a cast on his arm or something. So I thought maybe he was like, oh, keep keep him close because, you know, you're not sure about him. But by the end of the movie, you're like, okay, he's cool. But he's teaching him like evasive maneuvers in the car. He at one point says to Rachel when she wants to go to brunch with her friends on like Sunday or something. He's like, no, you won't be doing that. And they're arguing about it. And he's like, well, then just go to brunch another day. Go on Tuesday. (laughs) He's like, (laughs) Tuesday morning brunch. Where'd you get this guy, Bill? Are you fucking kidding me or what? Like, (laughs) really? It was the best line in the entire movie. And it's so dumb. Oh, so we also get like a little tidbit regarding Kevin Costner's backstory. He worked for two presidents. One of them was Reagan and the fucking idiot guy, Cy Spector, I believe, is the one who said like, didn't Reagan get shot? (laughs) And Kevin Costner's like, not on my shift. And you eventually find out later in the movie that he wasn't there that day that Reagan was shot because his mother had passed away and he was at her funeral. But even despite that, he has blamed himself endlessly ever since because Reagan was shot while he wasn't there. And it's like, oh my God. So he, he is clearly very stringent and hard on himself and takes his job very, very seriously, which yes. is a good thing. But at the same time, like, you know, cut yourself some slack, Kevin Costner. It's okay, buddy. <laughs> yeah, you went home because your mom died. Like, come on, man. Oh, so around this time, uh, we get the introduction to the first big song that came out of this movie, which is Whitney Houston's I Have Nothing. It plays several times throughout the movie, and it's a good fucking song. Oh, we get some uh, some other good ones like throughout the movie that just like randomly will be playing in the background. Like I have nothing is playing a lot in the background sometimes. And then of course, uh, Run to You is a good one that's playing. But after we've established that everyone's in love with Kevin Costner, but Kevin Costner's too much of a hard ass to be in love with anybody. He's a hard ass. He's not gonna help Whitney Houston shop or anything like that. But then he'll sit there in his own little cabana. And just watch the video <gasps> run to you. Oh my god. Like, it's so weird. Okay, so... <laughs> just to, to dive a little deeper into everything Scott just said. Frank and the sister, Nikki, have like a little chat in which she basically lays out how her whole life she's been second banana to Whitney Houston. But she's fine with it. Guys, she's, she's fine. She's fine. She's totally fine. It's, it's fine. We're good. She used to be uh, a singer too. But, I mean, we all know who the real star is. So, like, it's fine. I'm not jealous at all. Who's jealous? Not me. No, I'm not. No. Nope. Nope. No, nope. I thought you were going to catch on, like, immediately when that happened. I was like, how are you well, not catching on that the sister is sketchy? Well, no, no. Well, because shortly after that, she's kind of almost dropped from the movie. She is for a while. That's true. That That's fair. She's gone for, like, 40 minutes. And you're like, oh, okay. I guess she's done. But as Scott was saying... Frank and Rachel do for a little while have this kind of like 
back and forth where they're basically battling each other a little bit for you know head honcho-ness essentially exactly and uh, but there still is that clear like sexual tension between them which for any romantic film I and mean, we've talked about this in the past when we've done romantic films on this show you know you could have the most romantic dialogue and the the coolest set pieces and the best director in all the land but you need to have chemistry and two characters that you genuinely care about to make a good romance movie work and despite the fact that again you wouldn't necessarily think that Kevin Costner and Whitney Houston would have like really good chemistry they do it's the old adage opposites attract of course and they do a very good job portraying that between the two of them but also it is weird that literally maybe 20 minutes after we had just gone through discussing how a madman broke into rachel's house and jacked off on her bed that (laughs) kevin costner is sitting alone in a room in the dark (laughs) <laughs> watching a Whitney Houston music video. Well, he doesn't he doesn't do that, although we joked while we were watching the movie that that's clearly a possibility as soon as the camera turns away that he's doing that. But it listen, it's fine. It's fine. Masturbation is okay, everyone. (laughs) He clearly has lust in his eyes as he's watching Whitney Houston on this music video running soulfully through the distance. It's fine, guys. In the next scene, Rachel is going to perform at this club. And Frank gives her this pendant, this cross pendant. And it has a panic button on it. And he tells her, just hit the button and I'll I'll be there on the double. Don't you worry, ma'am. I'll be there to protect you because I am the bodyguard in this movie called The Bodyguard. Indeed. But she is ushered to her dressing room and uncovers another threatening letter. But in Rachel's mind, this is... The first one. The first one. And she is very confused when the other people reference that this is not the first threatening letter that she's received. And she finds out about the guy breaking into her house and jerking off on the bed and all this other shit that's been going on. And Rachel is uh, understandably like, excuse me? He was in my house, you know, where my child sleeps and no one thought to tell me. And the fucking idiot sigh Spectre, he's like, oh, no, it's fine, darling. It's okay. Listen, you go out there and you perform. And it's like... Oh my, are you fucking kidding me or what? She does eventually go on stage and she performs another pretty dope song. And she's she's rocking it in her little outfit. She's killing it. She's rocking and rolling. Well, no, okay. This whole scene where she's rocking and rolling. Uh-huh. This club or whatever she's performing at uh-huh. has the worst, the worst security yes. I have ever ever seen that's why the bodyguard is here scott <laughs> people are coming on to the stage dancing i'm like dude if you tried to get on the, the stage at a regular concert nowadays you yeah. would be grabbed so quick and then some guy would be dragging you backstage and knocking you upside the head while she's singing and you know doing her whole performance before it gets really crazy Cy specter he's in backstage with fucking frank and He's like, oh, uh, you know, Frank, I understand you're doing a job here, but, you know, if she doesn't perform, she's dead. And it's like, are you kidding me or what? No, she's she's dead. The public won't care about her. She'll, she's dead. She he, he keeps saying if she doesn't perform, she's dead. And Frank is looking at him like, yeah, but, like, she could actually be dead. Like, what do you say? Like, it's he's clearly there to be asshole publicist guy and that's fine he does his job very well well that's the other thing like we we, me and frank you're sitting there talking about like musicians and actors take like months off at a time i mean that's true where they just kind of i don't really and she's nominated for an oscar right now i don't think (laughs) if she doesn't perform at this one concert the whole public is going to forget about her in like two seconds like i don't that's not how life works are we having a communication issue, Frank? Oh my God, please go away. 
but yeah, the, the crowd, as Scott said, immediately kind of gets out of control and Frank has to scoop Rachel up in his arms and save her. Oh, after fucking knocking some people with a fire extinguisher. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Tony, the original bodyguard, who is clearly not as good at his job as Frank is, you know, he kind of tries to take over and save Rachel, but he kind of gets left in the dust. He runs to try and secure the limo, but Frank had already called the limo to the back alley, threw her in the, in the limo, and they drove off to safety. So <laughs> he he tucks her into bed, says nighty night, and goes to the kitchen and has himself a snack. <laughs> and <laughs> Tony walks into the kitchen, like dripping wet with the pouring rain pissed off and the best fight scene happens like what? i i love this fight scene in the oh, kitchen the f- so much the fight scene is just kevin costner kicking tony's ass i love it but not only that you get the typical cliche of i'm a badass so i'm going to eat fruit with just a knife yeah. <laughs> like just a peach and a knife and kevin costner and then tony walks in and Tries to hit Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner throws him to the ground, pins him down. And then he walks away. He's like, okay, you done? Then Tony comes up from behind him, tries to hit him again. Gets pinned down again. Are you done, sir? Kevin Costner walks away again. And then I'm like, okay, so are we done now? No, are we going to do rule of three or are we done? And of course, we have to do rule of three because it's a rule. And we follow the rules here at the bodyguard. So Tony comes up to try to get him again only this time he has a fucking butcher knife in his hands which why like what well, are you gonna do are well, you going to kill this man <laughs> well yeah he grabs the butcher knife because they clearly show that there's this knife next to him because they pan to it and kevin Costner just takes the knife that he was eating the peach with and fucking throws it and he goes right next to tony's head and he goes we good no, he sa- he says, which is funny because throughout this whole fight scene, he never says one word to Tony. And then after he throws the knife, hits it right next to him on the wall, he says, I don't want to ever talk about this again and walks away. You eat that peach, Kevin Costner. You go, girl. So yes, after this whole terrible night, Rachel wakes up and goes to see Frank and thanks him for saving her and agrees to be more compliant with his security measures and she immediately tries to ask him out which like I get it girl like you get literal Robin Hood saving your life you want some of that and I totally understand and he doesn't say no (laughs) well no he doesn't say no I do want to cut back real quick because we do actually finally meet the stalker Yes, they do reveal the identity of the stalker. It's no one we know, but they show his face. He's just some like skinny, pasty guy with like I, I, I feel like it had to have been a wig. The hair was everywhere and anywhere. It was just very platinum blonde, bushy hair. Well, but he takes a glove that Whitney Houston had dropped and clearly like. Oh yeah, it was oh. creepy. Yeah, okay. Ew. <laughs> but uh, I was curious what you felt about that in the moment because usually when you kind of reveal the killer slash stalker slash culprit halfway through the movie, it kind of ruins the mystery. It does. So it, I was I was worried if you were concerned about that at that point. Oh, I was very concerned about it because I'm sitting there going like, okay, so now are we going to try and keep spotting him throughout the movie? And it's eventually Kevin Costner going to be like, yo, that dude was here. I kicked that dude in that crowd. But, then but it goes a totally different way. <laughs> we'll get there. But then he kind of is like also shoved to the side. Yes. I mean... To be fair, you didn't see it coming, so that's something. Oh, yeah, because again, (laughs) the middle of this movie, it's just like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah, we're going to get there to the the twist of the movie. But first, we got to get to Frank and Rachel's first date, (laughs) which is the cutest little thing in the world. They go to see a movie, and they go to a little bar, and they're chatting it up. And they're flirty and it's super cute. And we we have gotten past, it seems at this point, the combative tension between them. And they are seeing each other more as 
real people at this point and they are liking each other and it is adorable and kevin costner has a samurai sword oh my god the samurai sword scene you guys okay so he takes her back to his place ooh baby and she unsheaths his samurai sword (laughs) he has a samurai sword on the wall because he likes pointy things clearly and she like is playing with the sword and he like seductively takes off her scarf and throws it in the air. The samurai sword slices the scarf like butter. And for some reason, this makes Whitney Houston very, very wet. Bitch, me too. The fuck? <laughs> I mean, to be fair, like, you know, again, I'm not a Kevin Costner fan, but like, I felt something in that moment. <laughs> I. You know, if a guy whips out a samurai sword, I'm giving him a shot. You know what I mean? You're giving him a shot here? Not now. If I were single, if I were single and ready to mingle and a sexy Kevin Costner, who, mind you, is a little bland, like that would have turned me off a little bit. But then he whips out the samurai sword. I mean, you know. I'd be willing to let the blandness go a little bit. That's all I'm saying. But yeah, they have sex. And (laughs) then immediately the next day... Kevin Costner is like, no, this can't happen again. I can't sleep with my client. Oh, I missed my foreplay joke. Damn it. I literally was going to say swordplay. More like foreplay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. (laughs) Let's move on. So we can't be together. They have this like biting back and forth with each other because he basically breaks it off with rachel and uh she's arguing with him about it and he tells her like you can live with it or you can fire me and she goes but i can't fuck you <laughs> and i was like oh damn there's also uh on their date that we didn't mention uh there's a song that plays <gasps> this is our introduction to a little big song and th- this is the best time i guess to introduce I will always love you into the conversation. This is, uh, like I said, the most iconic song that came out of this movie. Even though it isn't an original song, it was originally written by Dolly Parton and released in 1974. It hit the top spot on the Billboard country charts at that time and did so again in 1982 when that song was included in a Dolly Parton movie by the name of The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, which I have seen and it is surprisingly good. And it stars Burt Reynolds. (laughs) It does. Burt Reynolds and Dolly Parton are in a romantic relationship in that film. And um, it is a musical, so Burt Reynolds does sing. Interesting. Very briefly. And very talk singy, but it's okay. We love that for him. So when the song plays in the bar and Whitney Houston and Kevin Costner are dancing to it, it, it is clearly a country version of the song. And Whitney Houston remarks that the lyrics of the song are quite depressing because yes. it's talking about how a couple is separated and that they will always love each other even though they are far apart and it's it true is a very depressing song but it will come back later and it will come back strong and we'll, we'll talk about that version when we get there <laughs> but um while we're on the subject of music in this episode of shoot the flicks music month why don't we get into the cast could have been for the- rachel marin ah the cast this is a segment we've done multiple times on the show now it's where we talk about casting choices that could have been it's pretty much all there in the title of the segment cast could have been our alternate realities exactly our multiverse of madness (gasps) so there were other names considered for Whitney Houston's role in this film. Like I said, when the script was originally written in the 70s, Diana Ross was the prime candidate. But throughout this script's inception and it being batted around Hollywood, there have been multiple female songstresses considered for the role, including Dolly Parton herself, who we just talked about. Interesting. Pat Benatar. Okay, yeah, 90s. Olivia Newton-John uh, okay. of Greece fame, yeah. obviously, seems like an obvious pick. Madonna, yeah. who also did some acting. Joan Jett, Debbie Harry, Janet Jackson, and 
Terry Nunn, who was the lead singer of Berlin, who did the song Take My Breath Away ah. from Top Gun, which I know is a, a hot button topic these days because of the new Top Gun movie. So a lot of 80s, 90s queens of music. Makes sense. I mean, out of all of the... I mean, obviously Whitney's the queen and we yeah we stand her and we love her in this movie if i had to pick another person i mean i'm partial to joan jett but i've never seen her act i know she did like a movie at some point yeah. in her life uh, i can't see olivia newton john doing this though i can't see her being like sassy enough for this yeah the sassiness is it has to be there i guess the end of greece you can kind of think of it but like eh, it's not great janet jackson i've never seen her act yeah, I, I've never seen her act either. I know she did Poetic Justice with Tupac, but I've never actually seen that movie. I want to see it, but I think for the most part, these are all women that have dabbled in some kind of acting in some way, shape, or form. Well, so. yeah. Madonna would have probably been the biggest name in 1992. I would assume, yeah, probably. Because I know she got into a phase where it was mainly acting. Madonna did Evita, which is like a huge musical. Was that before this, though? Or was I don't it remember, right after? but I, I mean, I don't know if this is a hot take for musical people. Let me know. But like, I, I'm not a big fan of Evita, uh, just in general. <gasps> yeah, you don't care, Scott, okay? My mom's going to be upset about it, but that's about it. The point is that, uh, you know, Whitney was clearly the best choice, and there's a reason why Kevin Costner pulled for her, because she's gorgeous and she can sing. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, yeah, she, I, honestly, none of those choices, especially in 1992, I feel like work as well as Whitney does. So after Kevin Costner promptly dumps Whitney Houston like a fool, they all go to this Miami charity concert and we get another performance of I Have Nothing, which is great. Rachel becomes a lot more defiant of Frank's security measures and she flirts with his old Secret Service colleague named Portman, who Ooh. will become more important later. Who, like, really, Whitney Houston? Portman? I mean, I mean true. He's he, he's not uh, the best looker, but, you know, she wanted to make Frank jealous. What is, who does she have to choose from, exactly? Any guy at the party. I mean, eh, I get what you're saying. But it's Whitney goddamn Houston. The only reason, it's because it, he's important for later, so he has to come back later. So it had to be Portman, I guess. But anyway, we have the portion of the movie that is kind of boilerplate for any romantic film where the two main leads are separated, broken up for whatever reason. But behind the scenes, in private, they are sad and sulky and, Meh, I miss you. You know, very uh, standard stuff, pining away for each other. And then all of the defiance and nastiness between them kind of comes to a stop when Rachel gets an actual phone call from her stalker in which he is just like screaming into the phone at her and being very creepy and scary and Rachel is like okay I'm I'm done being an asshole we both made some mistakes here but like I will do whatever you want me to do you have to protect me because this is serious and so we decide to cancel the rest of the tour and go up north yes we get Frank Rachel her son Fletcher, the sister Nikki, and Henry, the driver, going up to a cabin in the mountains owned by Frank's dad, Herb. During this time in the little cabin in the woods, we get some bonding. Rachel and Frank kind of lower their guards a little bit again and they become close. And we get another scene in the middle of the night with Frank and the sister which, again, was kind of a big red flag that I'm surprised Scotty kind of well, overlooked. Well, at this point, this is the first time we've seen the sister in 40-some-odd minutes. She comes back and is like, oh, Frank, I want to fuck you. Yeah, and Frank's she's like, drunk. <laughs> and Frank's like, oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. No, 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 You misunderstood. Well, I guess if I, the boss said so, you would do it. Well, at this point, I think he becomes a little suspicious of her 
because she's clearly got a lot of resentment towards the sister because she's drunk. So she's able to kind of let it fly a little bit. So I'll go pay for a fucking hitman. Well, okay. So why don't we get to like the reveal now? So, okay. Just to set it up the next day, there is an attack at the cabin. Little Fletcher is riding a motorized little boat and Frank thinks something is off. So he jumps in the water and grabs Fletcher and pulls him out and everyone thinks like he's overreacting like what the fuck's wrong with you he's a kid he can't swim you could have drowned him and then all of a sudden boom the boat blows up and they're like what the fuck they have to stay there overnight because you know they're up in the snowy ass mountains they can't really leave right the second so they have to stay overnight and then you find out that the sister has hired a hitman to kill whitney houston and you're like wait what your reaction to this was the best because literally kevin costner just like she's again drunk like in the kitchen just drinking and crying and he walks up to her and literally kind of out of nowhere just goes like so what did you do like he immediately it's like he knows immediately that she's done something and she just confesses like she's she was jealous and in a fit of jealous rage she just impulsively hired this hitman she doesn't know who he is or when he's coming but she never wanted fletcher to get hurt then she's freaking out and (laughs) and scott is like wait what okay (laughs) wait because what because we're dealing with this stalker who is completely separate the stalker is not the hitman you do get a call that the stalker has been apprehended by Frank's friends like the FBI. And then now you have this hitman, so you're like, where the fuck are we going? It comes out of almost nowhere. I mean, to be fair, if this is the route we were going down, where we were going to have basically two creeps in the mix, both of differing motives going after this one woman, there was no way to make it sound like it made perfect sense and was logical so this was we we took spaghetti we threw it against the wall and we saw what stuck and we just threw it in the movie i mean kind of yeah in a way yeah i mean i i would say like something fancier than spaghetti like linguine or like something you know something a little (laughs) with a little more zhuzh oh we're arguing the type of pasta being thrown against the wall (laughs) well i don't want to say you know i don't want to compare whitney houston to like chef boyardee over here but you know what i'm saying okay so (laughs) what's what makes it even more bizarre is that as soon as this twist is introduced the the hitman supposedly breaks into the house shoots the sister and kills her she's fucking dead and then the killer escapes kevin costner chases him all the live long day but somehow he escapes and it's it's a lot whitney houston even at in the 90s in this fictional film is a hot commodity (laughs) well now okay so kevin costner's chasing this guy for the woods and of course we have to get a scene where kevin costner has to close his eyes and listen for the hitman walking in the snow to take a shot and just miss him. Like, come on, guys. Do we really need to do this? We got it from the peach. Kevin Costner's a badass. We understand. <laughs> what is it with, like, movies and peach? Why is peach Why is peach the one? Like, well, because, it's this, call me by your name. <laughs> well, because peach is something for the main character to have. And Apple's always a bad guy. Oh, is that true? Because when you, you always get a bad guy who bites the apple and then throws it away. They take one bite of the apple and then throw <laughs> it to the side. So apples are bad guys. Peaches oh. are good p- people. You know, I don't like this uh, discrimination against fruits that you're peddling. <laughs> this fruitism. <laughs> this fruitism you're discussing. So a few days after the sister's funeral is the Oscars. And Frank and Rachel kind of have a private moment together where she's like, listen, if you tell me not to go to the Oscars, I won't go, but I really want to go and I want to rub it in everybody's faces that I got this fucking Oscar. Like I earned this and I want it. And Frank's like, I'm going to protect you. And she trusts him completely. And they have a little smoochy smoochy. And it's very sweet and intimate and lovely. And then the next scene, we're at the Oscars. Yes. And Whitney Houston starts to panic frank is pretty suspicious that like something's gonna happen tonight because it's very public 
thing, obviously, the Oscars and the the added pressure kind of gets to her and Frank gives her the pendant again with the panic button and says, if you need this, just hit it. So that's already in her head and she's nervous about the ceremony itself. So it's just a lot going on. And then when she goes on to present an award, she's looking out the crowd and everybody looks suspicious and Kevin Costner's right on the side, like basically like looking at her like every second, just like watching and it it freaks her out. So she runs off stage and she has a moment where she kind of snaps at Kevin Costner saying like, what the fuck? Like you, you got me all crazy and you made me look like an idiot out there. And I felt so bad because like I that's actually a scene where like I get it from both perspectives because he feels bad because like he's like I'm just trying to protect you (laughs) like I'm sorry and then you can tell that she she really does love him like you can tell that they really do care about each other at this point but like she's just so stressed out and like under pressure and well she kind of loses it a little bit she loses it but well the other thing is when he finally gets to her here he has figured out who the killer is oh yes okay we have to oh my god okay so this is like another fucking like what the fuck moment backstage at one point kevin costner runs into portman and he's like hey buddy what's up by this point mind you at the miami party he was clearly like flirting with whitney houston so like he ain't exactly thrilled with portman right now but he's just like hey man what's up and he's like oh i'm just guarding the host of the show like everything's cool man and then later on in the show kevin costner runs by the host and he's like hey where's portman and he's like i have no idea who that is so kevin costner's like holy shit that's it it's portman portman's the hitman so yeah that's kind of also like a really like really kind of moment like that's of course it is (laughs) like yeah so now he's like tony it's portman you have to go get him because tony has now told off the publicist who's like you know what you're fired kevin costner after this tony's in charge after this and tony turns around to sigh specter and he's like you're a fucking asshole and like this is what i mean by tony having like an arc throughout the movie because after they had their big brawl in the kitchen like it's almost like he kind of gained some respect for him and but right before the oscars before they went into the oscars I think Sai said something to Tony, like, you better know what you're doing. And Kevin Costner defends him. He's like, Tony knows exactly what he's doing. Don't worry about Tony. And it's like, oh, they've they've turned it around. They're buds now. <laughs> like, it's funny. Portman has a gun inside of a camera. Yeah, he's, he's pretending to be a cameraman at the show. And he's aiming it at Whitney because Whitney has now won her Academy Award. So she's coming up to accept it. Portman is lining up his shot. Kevin Costner sees him, runs onto the stage like only Kevin Costner can. <laughs> it's it's almost slow motion. It is slow motion. <laughs> what do you mean it's almost slow motion? He tackles her to the ground in slow motion. It's As very he gets dramatic. Shot in the shoulder. Oh. oh god, he goes down. Portman's like, oh god, he starts lining up a second shot, but Kevin Costner, bleeding from the shoulder, pulls his gun. And shoots Portman in the face. And then it was like, okay, I can die now. And he's laying there bleeding. And she's like, don't leave me. Oh, no, Frank, don't leave me. Don't leave me. It's really sad. And I'm like, no. And he passes out. It's really like, oh, no. And I'm like, he's dead, right? And But no. You did not think he was dead. No, he's not dead because it's Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner's not going to die in the movie. I think you were a little surprised by the ending, though. We cut to an airplane. Yeah, so, okay, like, this is the point I got excited because this is, like, the most iconic scene in the movie. So, like, they're they're going their separate ways, right? Kevin Costner is doing his thing, and Winnie Houston is going on the plane, and she's doing her thing. And they're like, we must say goodbye, for our relationship would never work. Oh, what was us? And they're just like, okay, bye. And they give each other a hug and a little kiss on the cheek, and Winnie Houston goes to get on the plane. And Scott's like, that's it? And I'm like, no, Scott, shut the fuck up. It's the most iconic scene in the movie. Just wait for it, okay? And then we get the most iconic scene in the movie with the most iconic song in the movie, Whitney Houston's version of I Will Always Love You, which spent a whopping 14 weeks at number one on the Billboard Hot 100, setting a new record at the time for best-selling single by a woman. Oh, yeah. So, 
Whitney Houston's on the plane and the song starts and it's all beautiful and wonderful and it makes you want to cry a little bit but you have to hold it together because Whitney Houston's like stop the plane stop the plane I must get off the plane and she runs off of the plane and just as the song crescendos into the beautiful chorus jumps into Kevin Costner's arms and they have a passionate kiss and that's that's the movie basically I mean there's like a little epilogue where he's guarding somebody else and she's performing the song and they're separated by time and space but they will always love each other and that's how the movie ends with this killer song and this killer romantic moment and I love it it's literally it makes the whole movie (laughs) And Scott was surprised slash disappointed that they didn't end up together, which I was like, Scott, you don't get it. (laughs) But for his completion as a character, like, it should be like, he finally learned, you know what? It doesn't fucking matter. I'm going to protect her. Like, it's it's like the completion of his character, but then it's like, nah, never mind. (laughs) I I don't think it had anything to do with that. I think they just kind of both realized that they leave very different lives and that it probably wouldn't have worked out. I don't think it's necessarily because he can't protect her. I mean, he did get shot protecting her. And maybe she also doesn't want that on her conscience. Like, God, you know, God forbid he died. Like, that would have been a lot for her to take. Maybe. But maybe it's just, it's they just, should have been together. I mean, it would have been nice, but it wouldn't have lasted, Scott. They're Who? two different. They come from two different worlds. So, yeah. It's an iconic, beautiful song. And... It's one of those songs that I feel like you can't listen to without like getting a little misty, even before Whitney Houston passed away. I feel like it's just one of those songs that's like super powerful. And the the content of the song is admittedly super depressing, but that's what makes it work for the movie, Scott, because now they understand what the song means. They're like, how is this a love song in, or in the earlier scene? How is this a love song? It's so depressing. But now they understand and they will always understand. And every time he hears her perform that song and every time she performs it, they will think of each other. And it's so beautiful. And that is the bodyguard is the bodyguard. Now, what did you think of this movie, Scott? Overall, it's okay. It's an okay movie that kind of like starts going beat by beat. And then at in the middle of it kind of is like, yeah no i totally get that i i actually do agree with you i i've enjoyed this movie in the past and i enjoyed rewatching it after some years but i do think that without the star power that's in this film if you just had you know joe and jane schmo in there in the lead roles it would literally be just like a run-of-the-mill romantic thriller the dime a dozen type that is out there in cinematic universe that's forgotten to the annals of history exactly so like many other romantic movies that maybe aren't so great like a walk to remember which we did not too long ago a review of on its face it's not the most well written script the most amazing film but because of the chemistry between the two lead actors in the romance it works shut up scott i see you rolling your eyes over there i'm not done i gave this movie a three out of five stars i enjoyed it very nicely is it perfect no but is it a perfectly enjoyable romantic thriller absolutely and you get some great songs in there too which is a of course a great bonus i also gave it a three out of five i think yes this the soundtrack is the highlight of the movie whitney is honestly very good for for her first movie I for mean, her first movie and for absolutely what is limited material do i think if she was more seasoned and had a better movie this could have been like even epic? better sure yeah of course um but i think she is the highlight of this movie i agree so that was fun uh, next week is going to be our last entry in Music Month. Scott will be introducing me to a movie that I heard a lot about over the years, but I've never seen. It's going to be interesting. I don't know if you're going to like it. 
it was based on I don't want to say what kind of book but it was based on a book I read the book I liked the book fine so something tells me I'll like the movie fine but we shall see it is one of those movies that did not get a lot of love early on yes I have started to research and I get that so we'll, we'll see how it shakes out but until then this has been shoot the flick I'm Frankie Sparks and I'm Scott Eisenberg. Make sure you check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Shoot the Flick. And check out our weekly episodes every single Wednesday on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, and iHeartRadio, and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast. And make sure you come back next week for our powerhouse super starry movie adventure. Brunch on a Tuesday? Where'd you get this guy? <laughs> <laughs>